No Vikings fans? Wow, that's brutal. Oh my goodness. Hey, Covenant Life Church, it is great to be back with you. It was great being here in May. Uh, it's great because the weather's still nice, so we haven't hit the winter yet. Uh, man, so something happened this last year. You see, my wife and I, we did something that we have never done before. Now, we didn't travel somewhere exciting or exotic. We didn't go to a, fi a really fancy restaurant. No. Do you know what we did? We hired a financial advisor. Yeah, I can see all the excitement on your faces. <laughs> no, we did because we entered that life stage where we're looking at our finances going, hey, we should probably be wise with our money or else we might find ourselves working forever. And so we hire a financial advisor, and we probably hired them for the same reason that anybody would hire a financial advisor, because they're financial wizards. The things that they can do are pretty amazing. They're experts at what it is that they do, and they can do it with our best interest in mind. You know, my internship, so my undergrad was in business, and my internship was at Wells Fargo. And I remember going to Wells Fargo, and I met this wealth manager there, and he's always preaching Diversity, diversification, 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 again and again and again. And to illustrate his point, he brought up a really wealthy investor at the bank. It was a client of theirs, but despite all of the advice that they were giving him, he ignored it. And he decided to put all his marbles into one basket to buy one particular stock. Any ideas what that was? Uh, none other than... Facebook, let's go. And at the time, it seemed to be going really, really well for him, but then eventually something happened. You see, this last year, if you've been paying attention at all, Facebook stock has crashed not 20%, not 40%, it has crashed 60% in just one year. That's crazy. Imagine entering into retirement, and within the very first year, you've lost 60% of everything that you've owned. Man, that's not a great plan, is it? But then it leads me back to asking the question of why did I hire a financial advisor in the first place? Well, I hired them because they knew how to navigate finances the best. And they also could navigate my finances with my best interest in mind. That's why anyone would hire them. But then I started thinking like, hmm, is there anybody else in this world that I could you know, go to for advice just in everything in my life? Is there somebody who knew everything about me and could help guide me along this path? Now, you can kind of see where I'm going. I'm not talking about a coach or a mentor or a really good friend. No, I'm talking about the possibility of there being a God. Is there possibly a God, and this is the question I want us to ponder today, is there possibly a God who loves us so much that he wants what's best for us. Think about what that means for a minute. That means that you have a God who knows everything about you. This is the God who's created the cosmos. He's put universes into motion. He's crafted the details of what would it take to make life on earth. And giving all that chaos, he thought specifically of you. He brought you here. His relationship with you goes further and deeper than that with your family, than with your friends, uh, with your spouse even. You see, he gave you a name before anybody else. 
And the idea that he loves you, and out of this love for you, that he wants what's best for you. It's this amazing idea. And we get so excited right now. Whew, this is great. I'm so excited about this relationship with God until he gives us something. A rule. Suddenly, a rule comes. The party stops. The fun is over. The air has gone out of the room. The good vibes have come to an end. Suddenly, I'm going, I don't like this so much. Hmm. And I start pondering these things. Is, is there really a God? Hmm. And I start pushing and walking through this complex of, huh, how could it be? It seems like he's so legalistic, so demanding. It's so unaccepting. And these are the questions that our world asks. Is there really a God? Now, the scripture that I want us to read today, it actually comes from Exodus chapter 20, and it's going through the Ten Commandments. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. But it's Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to jump through verses 1 through 17. Now, I've put the abbreviations up here so you can see them. I'm not going to read all of the 1 through 17, but I want to read the abbreviations. And as I do, pay attention. It says, do not have other gods besides me. You can see that it's found in verse 3. Verse 4, do not make an idol for yourself. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not covet. Now, when I read through those, some of them, okay, I'm looking at it. I think I can handle this. Others, I start to have a little bit of questions around. Maybe a little confusion. Maybe I need some clarity. And it brings me back to this question of, hmm, who is this God? If there is this God who's created everything and he's created me specifically and he loves me, what would this relationship with him look like given that there seem to be the rules here? I start thinking through, maybe my life needs to look like that, uh, more of like a Buddhist monk. Uh, maybe I need to have a shaved head. Maybe I need to sit there with my robe and a bowl uh, waiting. You know, it's funny, I was out to a brewery with some friends and we're out there, and we're trying out these different craft brews, and as we're sitting there, one of the friends starts talking about religion, and it comes up, and as they're talking, and again, we're trying craft brews, they're like, you know, I think I align more with the Buddhist idea of, you know, God's kind of out there, but, uh, you know, he's just accepting of us, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Did you know that, like, traditional Buddhists hold that you shouldn't consume any alcohol? Whoops, might have made that mistake. <laughs> right, and so I started thinking through, huh, their whole practice is the idea of actually leaving behind the things that are worldly and human desires and in seeking the spiritual. Well, it's not a Buddhist mentality I should take. Hmm, maybe I should be something like a devout Catholic. Maybe I should be pro praying the rosemary every single day. Maybe the rosary every single day. Maybe I should be going uh, to church specifically to take communion every single Sunday. Maybe that's what it looks like. If it's not that, maybe I should take the other spectrum of going to a megachurch. And maybe I can take some of what megachurches are teaching. Take in mind I work at Eagle Brook, so be a little careful. Uh, but this idea of, oh, prosperity, health, wealth, that God wants 
me to live in abundance. Maybe that's the attitude that I should take. What does a relationship with God look like? And you see, suddenly I start developing what I call the American God complex. What kind of God is this, and what does this relationship look like? You see, for me, it started back with these Ten Commandments. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I have this vision of the prophet Moses. He's walking down Mount Sinai. He has a fierce, tense brow. And in one hand are the Ten Commandments, these stone tablets. In the other, maybe a staff. And he's walking down. His coat is blowing in the wind. Behind him, Mount Sinai is erupting. There's dark clouds in the sky. There's lightning. There's fire in the air. It's intense. But that image, though I'm exaggerating a little bit, Somewhere in the back of my mind, that image sits there. And it creates this idea of a relationship with God who's far off into the clouds. It gives me this perception of a God who's up in the clouds and he's looking down with these tablets in hand and he's looking at me. And he's judging, hmm, good, good, bad, bad. He's looking to see, oh, hey, he snowplowed the neighbor's driveway. Yeah, great. Oh, he opened the door for the, the grocery store for the old lady. Hmm, Noah's doing pretty good today. Oh, oh, okay. You definitely cut that guy off in traffic. Oh, oh you ate the last pie at the family Thanksgiving. Shame on you. He's looking. Oh, oh. And again and again, he's looking at things that I've done. And what's interesting is I get in my, my head this idea that my relationship with God is based off of, do I have more good check boxes or more bad check boxes? And he only really wants a relationship with me so long as I have more good boxes checked. And then I begin to, for a while, say, okay, I can get more good uh, boxes checked. But eventually I get frustrated because I realize I keep having these bad check boxes. And I think this is our world, right? We get irritated and eventually, right as I'm ready to walk out the door, who walks in but Jesus? Oh, Jesus loves me. He loves me so much that he would give his own life for me. I love this idea of Jesus. It's so uplifting and encouraging. But you see what is interesting is because Jesus suddenly becomes this get out of jail free card. He suddenly becomes the, hey, God loves you with his check boxes, and he doesn't want you to go to hell, so he gave you Jesus, and as long as you believe in Jesus, things are okay. Okay, I got it, but I have this complex between what does my relationship look like with you, God? Is it that you love me? Okay, I get it. You gave me Jesus, but at the same time, I still need more good check boxes than bad ones in order to have a relationship with you. What do I do? I started thinking about what would it be like if somebody grew up with a parent complex like this. You know, they have two different parents. Maybe it's a dad who's really stern, and then they maybe have a mom who's a little bit more embracing and encouraging. You know, maybe they come together and make these rules of, hey, there's no video games, no Nintendo Switch on school nights. All right, that's a simple rule. But then a day comes and their child finishes the homework early and he goes up to dad, hey dad, can I play the Nintendo Switch? No, you know the rules. No video games on a school night. So the kid walks downstairs. But not too long later, here comes mom with what in her hand, the Nintendo Switch. Hey, guess what? You can go ahead and play these video games up until dinner, just don't tell dad. Now. 
that's a really easy example. It's kind of cute if, if, you know, you let it. But at the same time, if you think about what would a kid turn out to be if that's how they grew up constantly in that complex, they'd be a psychopath, right? <laughs> like, you can't grow up like that. And so I started thinking through what would it be like to have God as a parent? What would the ideal look like? And so I started thinking through, oh, well, what if I had a God who was more of that hands-off parent? You know, they're a little bit at a distance, and they're kind of encouraging, but they let you do whatever it is that they want, what you want, and, you know, you'll learn from your own mistakes. Hey, you want to go trick-or-treating on Halloween? Great, here's all your candy. You want to eat all your candy in white? Go ahead. And when you're sick, you'll learn your lesson, right? It's the hands-off parent that lets them do whatever they want. And as time goes on, these kids, these parents, have an interesting dynamic because typically what will happen is these parents will see, oh, all your friends have a cell phone? Here's a cell phone. Oh, you crashed your car because you were driving too fast? Mm, don't worry, we can cover that. Hey, you didn't apply for any scholarships to go to school? Don't worry, we got you covered. Hey, you did something wrong? You couldn't get a job? That's all right, our basement is always open to you. <laughs> Right? These are those distant parents who they show their love by in the last minute coming in and saving them. They're almost like that genie in the bottle where if you rub it just right, they come in and they save you. That's one type, but it still creates this distant relationship in a kid that doesn't really know how to navigate life. Okay, well, let's go to the other spectrum. What if instead I had a parent who was our favorite helicopter parent, right? These are the parents that are controlling every single decision. Hey, I know what school you're going to go to. I'm going to choose your friends, what clothes you're going to wear, what music you're going to listen to. I can pick all these little details for you, and that control works because it looks like all the, ki the kid is making all the right choices, but eventually what happens? The kid has to make their own choices, and it doesn't work out so well. See, this parent tried to show their love by being so controlling. You see, there's this unique dynamic in this relationship with these two parents where, well, if you're too hands-off and you're just saving the day, I feel like you're distant and not loving me. And at the same time, if you're controlling everything, then I feel like you don't let me have the freedom to learn. So what does this relationship with God actually look like? Well, I'm wrestling with this God complex of who God is, how can he have these rules, and eventually I came to a different passage, a different piece of scripture. This comes from Psalm 19. Psalm 19, it reads, and I'm reading verse 7 and verse 10. It says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. They, the instructions, are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. I think about what would this look like? I'm like, wow, this guy, he's describing these instructions, one, as instructions, not rules. And that caught me off guard because in the back of my mind is that fierce prophet walking down with the tablets and the God with the clipboard looking up and judging me, but instead of rules, he uses the word instructions. And he says these instructions are so valuable, they're worth more than gold, worth more than pure gold. It's the, at the time, was the most valuable thing. They could mold it and create anything out of it, and it was a rare resource, more valuable than gold, more sweet than honey, so fresh that it was just coming off of the honeycomb. The author is saying, I would rather have these instructions from the Lord than 
piles of cash. I'd rather have these instructions and I would pay for them more than what I would pay for the tuition at the University of Minnesota. It's expensive to go to school these days, right? But you have this author who's describing this instruction from the Lord in a completely different way. And it begs me to ask the question, did he have a different understanding of God than I do? Was it possible that he believed in a God who loved him so much that he wanted what was best for him? Hmm. Was it certainly different than the God complex I'm wrestling? And so in order to figure out if this is true or not, I felt like it was worthy of testing. Can I test this and to see if it was a reality? Well, why not? I started evaluating one of the Ten Commandments. Well, one of the commandments is do not give a false testimony, aka do not lie. I started thinking about lying and I asked the question, well, why would anybody lie in the first place? Well, they lie because they think it's the best thing for them. That's what I would do. I lie to you because I want you to think the best of me, right? I'm trying to puff myself up a little bit. Or on the other spectrum, I lie because I don't want you to know something about me, so I try to hide it but I lie because I think that's gonna be the best thing for me. And the great thing about it is lying has no consequences, right? The odds are that I'm gonna get away with it. If I lie, it's gonna go well for me. The only person who's gonna know that I lied is me and, well, this God person. So what do I do with God? I push him back up into the clouds. I make him that God with a clipboard looking, looking to see, yes, no, good, bad. I push him further and further away. Lying seems to be a great thing, until I got a little bit older. See, suddenly I got put in a management position. Suddenly I'm managing people, I'm responsible for them, they're reporting to me. And it doesn't take long for you to be a manager before something will happen. You'll see you get a text that comes in and it says, I'm running late. I'm running late, why? Because the traffic is bad. Okay, my tire's flat. My car wouldn't start. My alarm didn't go off. And what am I thinking in my head? B.S. You know what that means. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Now, why do I think that? I think that because I assume, and it's human nature to do so, that they are just like me. And who am I? I'm a liar. Hmm. You see, the real consequence over time with me lying wasn't whether or not I was gonna get away with lying. The real consequence is that each time that I did it, my character started getting distorted a little bit by a little bit by a little bit until I am a liar. And now what happens as a manager? I have a really hard time trusting people. Instead of assuming the best, I assume the worst. Instead of giving them the benefit of the doubt, cut right to the chase, this is BS. This isn't good for me, it's not good for the people that I manage, this isn't gonna go well for my career. Turns out that this lying has consequences. And it leads me back to think, huh, could there possibly be a God who loves me so much that he wants what's best for me? Is it possible that in creating me, he knew these things, that he could look ahead of my life and warn me and give me not rules but instruction and say, don't lie. It will go well for you if you don't lie. What if out of his love for me, he's actually watching out for me? Well, lying is one piece, but there happens to be 10 different commandments. That's just one test. We might as well test another. And this one perhaps is the most controversial on the list. 
do not commit adultery. Well, what is adultery? Adultery is any form of sex outside of marriage. It's sleeping together before you get married. And I begs the question like, hmm, that's really interesting because why would anyone want to do that? Well, because there's a lot of reasons, but they think it's the best thing for them. We're logical people, we're rational people, right? Why would I want to have sex before I get married? Well, it's American wisdom, right? Try it before you buy it, right? You want to make sure that you know what you're doing. This seems to be logical, right? It's interesting because you even have parents now who are saying, hey, I would love to pay for your wedding, but until you move in together, until you make sure that this is really what you want, you know how to manage your relationship and all these different events, I'm not gonna pay for your wedding until you do that. That's what parents are saying these days. It makes sense. Why do I wanna have sex? Well, okay, I'm practicing, right? And what's interesting is it's like, all these ideas of American wisdom of try it before you buy it, of practice makes perfect. Hmm, it just seems to make sense. It seems to be wise at first. But you see, what's great about living in 2022 is, is that we have data, we have science, we have the ability to track social norms and see what's happening to people. I'm talking about different research organizations. One is out of the University of Virginia. It's the National Marriage uh, Project. Another is out of the University of Denver. It's the Center for Marital and Family Studies. There's another called the Institute for Family Studies. The list goes on, but people are studying this. They're researching it. This isn't a Christian agenda. This isn't propaganda. This is just science. This is just data. This is just facts. And what do they have to say? Well, it's really interesting because as they're breaking down these data, these scientists are coming out and they're saying, hmm, we're seeing a trend. You see, what happens when people start living together before they get married is it actually doesn't result in a lifelong marriage. You see, the chances of a lifelong marriage for them actually go down. But they can dig further into the data. What about couples that are living together and they're also sleeping together? Hmm. Data also points that the chances of them having a lifelong marriage continue to go down. Huh. What about the idea of practice makes perfect, right? Maybe I should have sex a couple times before I get married so at least I know what I'm doing. Well, they actually are able to go through and when they pick out people, it shows that the more sexual partners you have before you get married, your sexual satisfaction actually goes down. Practice makes perfect does not apply when it comes to sex. Huh. One of the more interesting comparisons they did is they took a couple who was living together, not married, and they compared another couple who was living together and was married. And out of the couples that were living together and not married, they found that there was a universal value. Everyone had this value that faithfulness is key, that there is an expectation that you're not cheating, that you're not sleeping with anybody else outside of the relationship you're in, both parties. But of that couple that is living together and not married, they found that men were actually five times more likely to cheat. Surprisingly, they found that women were actually eight times more likely to cheat. This is a shocker. Like, wow. So what's unique is we have the same values, but at the same time, we're living in different ways. One according to this instruction the Lord's given us, one according to what seems right in our own eyes, and yet we're getting very, very different results. And it begs me to ask the question again, 
what if, what if we actually had a God who loved us so much that he wanted what's best for us? It's really amazing to me because I want to think of this God in the clouds. But what if, instead of this God in the clouds who's looking at us with a clipboard, seeing if we're good or bad, what if he was more like a parent? I want to give you an example. Pretend you're a parent. Okay, some of you maybe are, others of you aren't, but pretend that you're a parent and you have a five-year-old and you take them to the playground and kids are being kids, they're playing, but frustration builds and one of the other kids pushes your kid. But what does your kid do? He turns around and he gives the big F you. What do you do? Oh my gosh, you run over there, you put your hand over their mouth and say what? Don't swear. Part of you is going, man, I really hope other parents aren't judging me right now. And another part is you in shock. Does my kid actually know that word? What? But what's amazing is, is why do you tell your kid in that moment, simply don't swear? Well, the reality is you tell them because you know what's gonna happen. You can't keep treating your friends like that and expect them to be your friends for long. As you go into school and your uh, teachers start hearing you talk like that, they might look down upon you. You might not get the same sort of educational experience otherwise. If you go further down the road, as you're in a workplace, that's not professional. You shouldn't talk like that. You have this great understanding as a parent about how the world works. And what do you do for your five-year-old? You know that they're not going to understand all those things, so you condense it. And you simply tell them what? Don't swear. Sounds a lot like a rule, doesn't it? What's interesting is in the moment, your kid hears that as a rule. They're looking at you and they go, hmm, I like to swear. I feel like swearing's best for me because it feels good when I do it and I'm getting the reaction out of people that I want. I want to swear. And in that moment, who do you become as the parent? They're pushing you away and you become that God in the clouds. They like swearing so long as mom and dad isn't around. You become that distant God in the clouds. But what if... What if there is that reality, that there is this God who loves you so much that he wants what's best for you? Guys, this would change absolutely everything. It means that you have a God who literally has zipped your DNA together. It means you have a God who knows intimately everything about you. He can see your future and what is coming down the road. And in knowing you and in creating you, he has this understanding of, hmm, What's the best job going to be for them? This person who I've created, they, he knows what job is going to cause you stress and anxiety. That is actually what you thought was going to be great is going to be really hurtful for you and you're going to get stressed out about it. But he also knows that job that you're going to go to and you're going to feel fulfilled, that you're going to feel like you have purpose. Looking further, he can look and look at your spouse. He can see that person he's paired you with. You can look and you can see the kind of person that you're going to end up bickering with every single night versus that person you're going to enjoy, who you're going to love being around. You can judge all these things because he's created you. It's absolutely fascinating. He can look at your friend group and look, hmm, what kind of friends would they feel like they're always comparing, like they always need to be at their best in order to fit in? Hmm, or what friend group are they going to feel supported in? What friend group are they going to feel like is championing for them, advocating for them? He knows the details of your life. He knows what's best for you. Friends, this changes everything about our relationship with God. If we believe that he is a God 
who loves us so much that he actually wants what's best for us. Now, as time went on, we looked at these 10 commandments. You see, the Israelites had a chance to walk with the Lord. But they, just like the kid at the playground, first took these as, hmm, simply rules. But as they started testing out this God and this relationship with him, you see, they would have those crashes like Facebook. They would have those downsides where they're regretting the decisions they made, realizing that I went my own way and it didn't work out for me. But in their relationship with the Lord, they later came to a very different realization. We see that in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 15. In it, he says, And now, what does the Lord your God ask of you? except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, to love him and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Keep the Lord's commands and statutes as I am giving you today for your own good. The heavens indeed, the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet out of all those things, the Lord has set his heart on your fathers and loved them. It's interesting because as you see this passage, you see that after years of wisdom and walking with the Lord, instead of viewing the Lord as someone who's up in the clouds giving a checkbox for them to pass, instead they start seeing as a God who knows them, who has his heart set on them, who loves them and wants what is best for them. Their dynamic with the Lord has changed. And friends, we finally might get to this we might get to this idea, warm up to this concept that we do have this God who loves us so much that he wants the best for us. But even if we get there, does that mean that we're always gonna be perfect? Does it mean that we're always gonna be able to trust him and do exactly what it is that he's instructing us to do? Reality is no, we're humans, right? It is the human tendency to walk away and determine that it's not the Lord who knows best, it's me who knows best. And the temptation when I'm looking at something and I'm like, man, I really want this and it seems like the Lord really wants this, I instead decide, shoot, I gotta do what's best for me in this moment. And what do I do each time that I keep making that decision, I know what's best for me? Well, I start taking God and I start pushing him up into the clouds, further and further away. Eventually, I wanna take the throne of my own life I wanna take God off of the throne and put myself on it. And eventually this thinking starts seeping in as I keep pushing God further and further away into the clouds. I start asking that question of, is there really a God at all? Eventually I can find myself sitting with other new age thinkers and in this new age theology declare, there is no absolute truth. I believe that there is no absolute truth. Hmm. Now, you might respond to me and be like, well, how can you know that what you're saying is true if you don't believe in any absolute truth? Well, that would make some sense. Except for the answer is actually quite simple. I know that it is true because I said it's true. I have taken God off the throne. I have put in myself on. There is no truth except for my truth. Nobody knows what's best for me other than me. I actually captured this. I have a friend uh, who, over the years, unfortunately, has really walked away from this relationship with the Lord. 
But just like I described, as a person who's slowly been pushing God further and further away and started asking the question, is there really a God? Is there really such a thing as truth? He came to this conclusion, and I want to read it to you. He posted this on Facebook recently. He says, I really like me. I like the life that I have. I like the dad that I am. I like where I am going. If I could give one piece of advice to those who still consider themselves Christians, it would be this. Trust that people know what is best for them. Find ways to express your trust instead of your concern. Believe people when they say, this is best for me. Look for the new vibrance in the eyes. Celebrate that. Look for the new freedom in their life. Celebrate that. If I could sum up this new age theology, this new age thinking, it would be this. I know me. I love me. I'm the only one who can decide what's best for me. There is no truth but my truth. That would be new age thinking. I've taken God off the throne and I've put in myself there. You know, if this was but a decade ago, this type of thinking wouldn't be heralded as health. Instead, it would be labeled something different. It would be labeled arrogant. Not a very kind word, but the idea that my way is the best way and I know what's best for me and I don't need help or advice from anybody else, that's what we would decide is arrogant. That's what we would label it. The idea is it's humility that in wisdom seeks a wide multitude of counselors. Think about why is it that we hired the financial advisor? We hired the financial advisor because we realized that we couldn't make all the decisions with our finances for ourselves. There was actually an expert who knew what was best and could act in our best interests. So what happens when we take the throne? Well, you see, just like there is a crash in Facebook, so too there can be a crash in our life. And what is sad is, is I, I honestly do feel bad for those who have taken the throne and made themselves their own God because they find that they're a broken God on a broken throne. See, what happens when they crash is they realize there isn't this loving God. There's no one else around them because the only God for them is them. And they are broken. It's interesting because in the recent years, again, going back to the social sciences, as we look at this, what do we see increasing? We see anxiety, we see depression, we see suicide of all things. It's really interesting because when it comes to retirement, I've heard people say, I'm really excited and really looking forward to retirement. People are living longer and longer and I can't wait to get there. But friend, the reality is, is that actually back in 2014, 2014 is when our life expectancy peaked in the US. Since then, it's been going down. And when research are digging into the why in the world is life expectancy starting to decrease in the US, they start citing things like depression, anxiety, and ultimately suicide. See, suddenly these careers of going in and caring for people, which is great to be a counselor in mental health, suddenly these are lucrative careers and they're skyrocketing. Why? Because people have made themselves their own God. And as time goes on, they realize that they're nothing but a broken God sitting on a broken throne. Friends, the worst thing that we can do when we fail when we've got to that point and we're trying to make a decision and when we evaluate our life and we realize I have been putting myself on my throne, I have been making choices that I think are best for me regardless of this God who loves me so much, who wants what's best for me. 
when we realize that we've made mistakes, when we're starting to carry baggage, when we feel like we've created this distance, the worst thing we can do is start putting God back up in the clouds. The worst thing we can do is put in our minds this God who's up there with his checkbox looking down on us to see, are they good, good, bad, bad? The worst thing that we can do in those moments where we realize that we walked away from God is to think that what we need to do is to start earning our way back to him. That I just gotta get more goods and then maybe he'll take me back. Friends, that's nothing but religion. It's the idea that you can earn this relationship with God. It's the idea that you gotta be good enough in order to have a relationship with him. That's not what we want. I have some really good news for you. I wanna illustrate it with something that I brought up here. See, what I have up here is none other than a pristine $100 bill. It's actually pretty flat. And when I went to the bank, I asked them specifically, I want a really flat, clean one. So here we have a really flat, clean $100 bill. And I ask you, what is this worth to you? $100, right? It's $100, okay, great. I'm looking at it, hmm. Whoa. What's this worth to you? Still worth $100, all right, good. You would still take this, right, if I was to give it to you? Yeah, I want that. All right, cool, well. Still interested? How much is this worth to you? A hundred dollars. You'd still take this, right? If I said anyone want to come and take this, you'd come take it. Hmm. Ooh. A little bit of spit on there now. Huh. How much is it worth to you? <laughs> it's still worth a hundred dollars. Why is it worth a hundred dollars? It's worth $100 because on it is this label. It's been labeled $100 bill. No matter what happens to it, how mucky or nasty it gets, it still carries that value. Friends, as you go throughout life, you're gonna have this feeling at times where you make your own decisions and it doesn't go as well as you had hoped. You're going to feel mucked up. You're gonna feel dirty. You're gonna feel like you've been separated, that there is this God judging you. But instead, just like the $100 has received a label that determines its value, so also you have been labeled. You realize that we have been made in the image of God. Out of all of creation, out of all the cosmos and the universes, there is only one thing that God labeled with his own image. Us, people. And he's determined that you're valuable. You are so valuable that he would do what? He would die for you. That's why in the Bible, in Romans 5, 8, it says that God proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we're not the only ones who have this God complex. The Jews had the same thing. 2,000 years ago when Jesus went and visited, he was walking and these Jews had this 10 commandments right in front of them. And what is one of the 10 commandments? But the Sabbath, the idea of not doing any work for one day of the week and resting. But these Jews were so strict around this specific rule that they said, man, you can only walk so far, you can only carry so much. And it almost seemed like when Jesus was there that he did what? He did everything on the Sabbath. 
He would heal on the Sabbath. He would perform these miracles on the Sabbath, and they started getting frustrated with him. What are you doing? But he had these words, and I want to share them with you now. This comes from Mark uh, 2, 27, and it says, let me grab it for you. It says, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What is Jesus' point? Jesus' point is that when God was creating, he didn't first create these 10 commands. Say, oh, I love these 10 commands. Hmm, okay, great, I have these 10 commands. Now let's make humans and see if they can live into these 10 commands. No, instead what God did is he first made humans. And out of his love for them, he said, let me help them by giving them these instructions. Jesus is saying, I don't love rules, I love people. And because I love people, I'm sending them these instructions. That's how you're supposed to understand these. Because I want to encourage you, just as we read today some scripture, as you heard me with the illustration of the $100 bill, the fight for your life is the fight for the throne. It's the throne of your life, and in it you're there and you're gonna make decisions. And the constant battle is, am I making a decision because I think it's what's best for me or because I believe there is a God who loves me so much he wants what's best for me and he has given me instructions in the way that I should go. Friends, when we trust that that really is who God is, when we trust that he really does love us that much, we begin to release control, begin to put him on the throne, we don't have to worry about what our future is going to hold, what that job is going to look like, who it is that I'm going to marry, what these next steps look like. I can actually trust him. I begin to experience joy. What is joy but the anticipation of something wonderful coming? And when we have a God who's looking over our future, we can trust him with it. We can trust him with our future. This is an amazing relationship. Friends, as we leave here today, I want you to know you have a God who loves you so much and he wants what's best for you. Thanks. Let's uh, spend some time in prayer uh, as we respond to the word. Um, after we sang the song, uh, it's reminding us of who God is. Uh, let's come for God. Um, in light of all of this, uh, really uh, asking God to uh, really instill his word into our hearts not just um, you know in our heads um, I think you know one uh, image that I thought of as I was listening to um, Pastor Noah's message is uh, that in our lives you know uh, there are people who uh, come alongside of us and um, you know tell us and give us uh, suggestions and advices right but I think I realized that um, it kind of depends on uh, who it is that gives me that advice, right? I think, uh, and as a result, you know, I may either um, uh, just burst forth uh, in gratitude or I get angry or frustrated that that person said that. Uh, I think it really comes down to uh, what kind of na the nature of relationship that I'm, I have with that person if the person is someone that I know to be for me and who loves me uh, then I would 
more easily accept what he or she said to me. Whereas if the person is someone that I know to be perhaps competing with me all the time and、uh, secretly wants my downfall,、uh, then the same advice can、uh, sound very different.、Um, I think one encouragement I have for our church as we、uh, you know, process the the message that we just heard. Uh, is really having that shift in mindset、uh, of who God is、um, as we come before the Word. You know,、um, we believe in God's Word. That's why we uh, have uh, preaching be the center、uh, of our service、uh, in all we do in life groups and everything. And、um, but the way we approach it、uh, can dictate、uh, what kind of fruit that we get.、Um, As we perhaps studied、uh, last last week、uh, in some of our life groups,、um, how do we bear fruit?、Uh, it really depends on how、uh, our attitude is towards God.、Um, so, can we right now, as we come before God,、um, you know, even asking God to give us renewed heart,、uh, soft heart,、uh, to see Him as someone that has the best interests、um, for me? Someone that knows what is best,、um, asking him to love his word, asking him to pursue him as my king,、um, dethroning myself,、um, shifting away from the the road of destruction, turning to、uh, the word of life. Can we do that?、Um, just cherishing him、uh, as we do this together, and then、I'll, in a moment I'll. Have、uh, Pastor Noah come back to the stage and、um, uh, pray for us in closing.、Uh, but let's uh, pray. Uh, just have one-on-one time with God together as a church,、uh, approaching Him as our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. God, there is no one. There is no one who loves us like You do. God, we so badly want. To go our way and make these decisions of our life for ourselves, thinking we know what's best—it seems so natural. Lord, as we go this place, Lord, would you remind us in our time with you, God, that you love us more than we even love ourselves. Your love is unending, and you would do so much as to exchange your own life for us. We can trust what you have for us. This road that's ahead, Lord, we can have hope. We can have joy because of who you are and how much you love us. God, in this moment, we're choosing to trust you. We ask your help in that. We ask it in your name and the name of your Son Jesus. Amen.